Hey everybody, this is Lance and Lappin from Final Boy Status. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a holiday gift from all of us here. Just letting you know, uh, in the month of December, all episodes that are released in the month of December will have no ads. And we humbly ask, in the spirit of giving, that you share this podcast with a friend, as well as review this on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you guys have a safe, fun holiday, and we'll catch you next time. Final Boy Status is a podcast about scary movies and the stuff that happens in them. The entire horror genre is generally frightening and disturbing. So if you're a kid, be sure to ask your parents if it's okay for you to listen. Or don't. You'd probably be cooler if you didn't ask for their permission. But then again, I won't tell you how to live your life. Also, we will be discussing spoilers during this podcast, so don't say we didn't warn you. Welcome back, everybody. I am Lanson Lappin. I will be hosting this episode of Final Voice Status. Hey, hey, hey. We, uh, I, that sound, <laughs> yeah, I was giving like you some, that it's immaculate. like we're opening a mixtape. Hey, 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 hey. Lanson in the yeah. house. What's up? Hey, well, anyway, that voice, you, you guys know, and, and is the lovely, sultry voice of Adam Bone. What's up? I'm also joined by the amazing Luke Howder. The amazing, I, I really am going to have to earn that title during the course of this episode. Dude, you, you already like, earned it. What you already have it. And we are joined for the first time. We have with us Sarah $100 Bills. <laughs> Hi. Sup? <laughs> Sup? Oh, it Man, is. His nickname game is strong. He's Yeah, he's, he could just pull him out of the hat. <laughs> Just uh, got my hat over here this sorting hat. Not Slytherin. <laughs> Shut up, you. Give me the names. The name. Anyway. Um, so <laughs> we are coming at you with another episode. And this time we have uh, covered, we are covering the movie Coraline. But before we jump into that, just kind of an intro. Maybe this is your first time listening. Basically, Final Boy Status is uh, all about, you know, sometimes you're watching... A movie with your friends, maybe it's a scary movie, and you go, "Oh, they should have done that," or like, "Oh, I could have done this." And that's basically what we're we're trying to do: dissect some movies and see if we could uh, survive them. Yeah. And the movie that we are uh, talking about today is Coraline. Um, so the yeah, scariest movie we've covered? Question mark. It's up there. I I am <laughs> higher up than I would have thought. Yeah. Because I watched I this as a child. <laughs> yeah. I put this into my eye holes as a youth, as an adolescent. You uh, sewed it into your uh, eye holes. Who's this guy? Shh, get back in the talking hat. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's the guy that sometimes comes up with nicknames, but he he doesn't he doesn't need to be a the whole writers room whispers here. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, I it's funny watching this movie now that I'm an adult compared to when I was a kid. I don't remember Jack Squat from when I was a kid. So like this, it was like watching it for the first time, and uh, it was not a very comfortable experience. I can tell you that much. I can tell you that I remembered one scene from this movie, and uh, there are listeners out there who already know what scene I'm referring to. Really. Yeah, what what scene? Tell us. None of them stick out to you, Sarah. None yeah. of them. None of them feel noteworthy. <laughs> I mean... None of them, on a young eleven-year-old psyche that would burn into his brain. You you don't know which scene no, that would I, be. I did sense that something was coming at some point, but I. I, just, I don't remember what it is now. Adam, Adam and Sarah blacked out during this scene in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the trauma overcame them. We're, we're going to like talk about this, and they're going to be like, that was in there, really? What? what? That, that sounds out of place in this I movie. I don't think so. I don't think so. But yeah, so let's, uh, let's kind of jump into the movie here a little bit. Uh, as always, the very wise and knowledgeable Luke Howder 
is uh, did some research. Did for some us. research. Got some background info on this bad boy. We only assume, though. <laughs> we haven't even talked about this before. Just uh, staring at them blankly to see how that goes. No, yeah, so, of course, I know a thing or two about this movie. Uh, this one's sort of interesting because when you look it up online, most of the stuff you dig up is this is information on like the symbolism in the movie and sort of some of the metaphors of it. It's harder to find some of the more like behind-the-scenes features, but we'll we'll see what I can dig into for you. So... This, of course, is Coraline. It came out in 2009. It was directed by Henry Selleck, the same Henry Selleck that directed, of course, uh, a night, The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is the first movie that he got to write and direct himself. So The Nightmare Before Christmas was, of course, written by Tim Burton. We got into a bit of an argument before the movie started because I mistakenly assumed that Tim Burton was also a producer on this movie, and he was not. So this was question mark henry selick's first like venture without tim burton hard to say i think i think most people probably think it's a tim burton movie just just from the look and and the overall movie i was i was surprised myself to find out it wasn't i think the influences are there whether or not he actually had a hand in it it's obvious a lot of it is i don't i don't want to say an homage because i don't want to speak for henry selick is his name yes tom selick Henry Tom Selleck. Confirmed. <laughs> Spelled exactly the same. But it's obvious there was some influence, Tim Burton creepiness. I don't know. So Yeah. Well, and I think, um, I, I for the life of me, can't think of the name of the animation studio that made this movie. Is it Leica? I don't know. It's like uh, Leica or Leitka. Uh, um, but of course, <laughs> Ikea. this... Ikea. Ikea. You're the expert. This like, animation studio basically came out of these... They were basically formed by these stop-motion features that Tim Burton was making. Mm. Uh, previous to this, of course, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride. Mm. We saw the beginnings of these animators coming together, and eventually they formed their own animation studio. And Coraline was their first movie that they produced, I believe. Uh, I can't remember the name of the studio, which I feel bad, because they made one of my favorite movies of all time, which is, of course, uh, Kubo and the and the Two Strings. That's a great one. And funny enough, this movie actually held the record for the longest stop-motion feature in history until Kubo came to take that title. Oh, no way. So they beat their own record, this studio. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I really like this animation studio, frankly. I think they do amazing work. Right, so, uh, of course, I mentioned Henry Selleck wrote this and directed it, but it is based off the book by Neil Gaiman. So Neil Gaiman is a fairly fairly famous writer i was the only one uh, out of us who knew his name but i'm also yep. a geek so <laughs> but he wrote uh the novel version of Coraline. he also wrote uh the new gods he wrote sandman uh stardust which is another kind of famous work of his that was adapted into a movie back in the day before charlie cox was daredevil he was yeah. a part of the stardust diverse uh but yeah, so Neil Gaiman kind of said basically that he was working on a different novel which featured the name Caroline, and he mistyped it to say Coraline, and something about the name just grabbed onto him. He said that's that name is distinct and weird enough that that is a real person. That is a real person, and I want to know who Coraline is, and I want to know her story, and that inspired him to write Coraline. So that was sort of... We were talking a bit about wondering where the name came from. It was a typo that he felt inspired by, and he went after it. That's really cool. It's really interesting. I think there's a part in the movie where, uh, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. If we're talking about the movie yet. Is, Jump in if you if you'd like. Thought, I, we're yeah. not gonna stop you. Okay. There's a part of the movie where, uh, where, gosh, what is his name? Uh, the kid. The, yeah. the yeah, the kid. What's y the kid's name? Y YB. Yeah. YB. Yeah, where YB, he's like, oh well, you got an ordinary name, so one would expect, you know, an ordinary kid, and I'm like. I've never heard anyone else named Coraline in my life. Like, <laughs> Not an ordinary name. I, well, I, I wouldn't. It's true. Call I think it he. Ordinary. I think he makes the comment when he thinks her name is Caroline. Oh, okay. Mm. Never mind. Okay. Um, Caroline is a common name. But but speaking of YB, there's a couple of pretty significant changes from the book. Not not as many as you would think. Mm. But the, probably the two biggest changes from the book is the setting. The book takes place in England because Neil Gaiman is an English writer. Mm. Uh, and this, and the movie moves it to uh, Ashford, Oregon, I believe I read. Hmm. Uh, 
The movie does mention being in Oregon, I think, but it doesn't mention where specifically. So I do remember that. Yeah, so Ashford is might be a total guess on my part, but it is what it is. Uh, so they changed the setting, which is a little bit different from the book. And then they also added the character of YB. He was not in the book at all. They added him because in the book, Coraline gets to have inner dialogue and the writer gets to explore her thoughts and her feelings. And they didn't really have a way to do that in the movie without like cheesy voiceover, this, that, or the other. So they added a character that was her age that she could talk to sort of uninhibitedly. So you had an idea of where her mind was at. Mm. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I. That's a good good move so we talk about our cast should we mention them so we have sure. dakota fanning playing playing Coraline. uh she was attached to this movie very early on as a matter of fact originally this was supposed to be a live action adaptation and she would play Coraline. Hmm. but somewhere along the way someone was like maybe this would be a more interesting animated feature would you prefer doing it as a voiceover part and dakota fanning was like yeah that sounds great and apparently she was a real champion for the style that Henry Selleck was, was going for. She was really intrigued by the artwork and the character design. And I have to say, it's one of the movie's strong points. So mm-hmm. good on her for being a champion of it. She was still pretty young at the time. She's, I don't know how old she is. She's probably yeah. around the same age as us. How weird is that? I mostly I think of like Dakota Fanning younger, as a child. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Just like from Man on Fire and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, love Keanu Reeves. Um... <laughs> And then, of course, uh, as the mom and the other mother, we have Terry Hatcher. We have Dawn French and, I believe, Jennifer Saunders? Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer Saunders are the two weird people who live downstairs. Funny story, originally they were cast uh, opposite. So they were still playing the two women. But in the first few recording sessions, they just felt like something wasn't working. So they told the actresses to switch which woman they were reading and what they found in the studio was it made the actresses sort of be like parodying each other so it became even bigger and more broad because it's like the actresses were making fun of each other instead of doing like a really serious interpretation of the work and they were so delighted by that and thought it was so perfect that they kept it so originally those actresses thought they were reading the other part uh we have Keith David is the cat when Keith Keith David, what a legend. Love that guy. I love Keith David. We have John Hodgman as Charlie Jones. John Hodgman, pretty legendary comedian actor. Uh, Ian McShane is, uh, what was his name, Bobinski? Mr. Bobinski. <laughs> and then last but not least, we have Robert Bailey Jr. as YB. Hmm. Probably biggest laugh of this movie came when his title card came across and i think adam went robert downey jr (laughs) sarah oh sarah (laughs) yeah sorry sarah it's all good uh so yeah that's i mean that's our cast there's a couple of other voices in there but that's that's the main of it uh in terms of budget you guys you guys have any idea what sort of budget this would be seven seven eight thirteen million dollars hmm Nine. Am I reading this correctly? Twelve. Sixty million dollars. Forty billion dollars. Sixty million. Wow. Sixty. Okay. Save me a little bit here. That's that's that's, a lot of that's what that is, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just see a lot of zeros and get confused. <laughs> yeah. So it's an estimated sixty million dollars, which I'm not too surprised by. Like, hundred and thirty sets. I I think. Mm. No, over hundred and thirty sets spanning 183,000 square feet on 52 different stages to to make this in stop motion. Wow. And of course like the uh, the sort of revolutionary thing that this studio was bringing to the table is they also combined some digital effects as well to help smooth out the stop motion and make it look a little more fluid and a little more natural. And I do remember this movie even as a child, I remember kind of feeling like this was a turning point for stop motion. Because as a child, I was actually a bit of a stop motion nerd. <laughs> so I remember seeing like Corpse Bride and the, the Nightmare Before Christmas and being like, these movies are great achievements. But then when this movie came out, it was the most fluid. It was it was the most correct that stop motion had ever looked at, I, in, in my opinion. And all of a sudden, watching The Nightmare Before Christmas, I was like, man, stop motion is hard to watch. <laughs> So, like, real props to this studio. They're doing great work in the field of stop motion, and the movies just keep getting better and better. 
remember at a few moments in the film, I I just like looked at what was on the screen or her hair moving or like the I don't know different pieces of the garden or whatever, and I was like, wow, this is really like visually stunning. It's like I don't know, kind of pretty to look at sometimes. So really, really gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, there's obviously very gothic elements to it, and it's supposed yeah. to be a little unnerving and a little scary. No, and, but, and it is. Yeah. It accomplishes that really well. But no, it's a it's a visual spectacle of a movie. It's definitely one of the strong points of the, of the film is just visually what it's bringing to the table. I think there's also times that I, watched the movement. I was like, yeah, that's very stop motion. But you almost like forget as as it goes on. Like I think when you're talking about that fluidity, it uh, it makes you forget. And it, I think with other stop motion, you just kind of always have that in the back of my mind or at least I do I'm like ah yeah this is a this style is constant but in this one I don't know you just kind of get lost in the world and lost in what's going on and you're less cognizant of the stop motion aspect and and the technical things that are sometimes a little bit more blatant well you know uh also working on a digital front as well as like the physical animation side of things proved to be really beneficial because they could go in and digitally remove mistakes later yeah so for instance imperfections in the dolls they could correct digitally um and they did from time to time uh and then i lost my train of thought but yeah like yeah (laughs) it, it was cool that they started attacking it from two fronts and they found a way to really marry those two things and like i said i feel like that marriage gets more and more precise and produces a better and better product every time they come out with a movie sure uh, I will address something that you brought up early on, Adam. You were very disturbed by the fact that Coraline had blue hair. Yeah. You were... Didn't make sense. Outraged it was, by it. was it. a natural hair color? A natural? So I went ahead and looked it up for you. Thank if you. If you pay close attention, if you look in the photo she has of her and her family, she actually has brown hair in the photo. And the director confirmed that she actually dyed her hair blue. It is okay. not a natural color. All right. That was the most important question that... in the film. Answer. I'm sure was on all the listeners' mind as well. So And now Adam finds the movie significantly less terrifying. <laughs> I'm like, well, that took away the edge. I don't know. <laughs> you can sleep easy tonight, Adam. <laughs> so since we've kind of talked a little bit about our uh, our general sense of the, the movie, why don't we kind of just jump into what we would rate it? So for those of you that don't know, usually what we do is we uh, give a rating for two categories. Um for just general quality as well as spookiness uh, on a scale of 1 to 13. So, Adam, why don't we start with you? Just uh, let's start with the general quality of the film. What would you rate this out of 13? Yeah, good question. I think uh, I thought it was a great film. I I had no idea what this film was about, actually. Like, I had no idea what the story was about before because watched it today for the first time. And the only thing I knew was about a little girl who had button eyes, and that wasn't even true so i didn't know anything about this movie and so watching it was actually very very cool to have no idea where it was going i don't don't know there was this you know fantasy realm like movies like this can sometimes you know whether it be like a wardrobe or a forest or something they see these mystical things and it was kind of that way but at the same time it had this like we said this uh this gothic feeling and and i i really like horror as a genre and to see it explored in this um in this way was very appealing i think as a kid it would have been very very scary and <laughs> after watching it but as an adult i definitely enjoyed it um out of 13 honestly i want to give it like a nine i think it you know as far as i don't know what you call animation but like kids kids um not real life i don't know what called stop motion movies it's uh it's very original it's very unique the story and and i think the symbolism behind things are very appealing and and not on the nose in a way that i want to look it up and see what do people say about this movie so i really liked it so i'm gonna give it a what i say a nine a nine (laughs) forgot it because i was talking too much (laughs) you're good you're good sarah what, what would be your rating out of 13, just on the general quality of the movie? I've honestly always been a fan of Coraline. That's kind of why I chose to watch it. I was like Yeah, nervous. it was her choice. I was nervous the whole time we were watching it. I was, I don't know, it's like showing a, I don't know, <laughs> just showing a movie to your friends. 
sorry, showing Dude. a movie to your friends and just like hoping that they like it. And so I was like watching you guys <laughs> to see if you liked it or not. But I, I, I'm a big fan of the movie, honestly, and I feel like I always have been. I, um, uh, it really scared me. I, I think the first time I watched it, I was like. 11 13 I don't, like around that age i just sure. don't know how you're okay today <laughs> watching this being 11 i would do some like permanent I scarring think, i think i like closed my eyes at, oh, okay. at some of the scariest parts <laughs> i don't know but um yeah i i like it a lot um i remember liking Coraline a lot and like relating to her a lot and <laughs> i don't know um i i would probably say like a a 10 out of 13 or some, or yeah, yeah, probably ten out of thirteen is what I'd rate it. Um, pretty good. Awesome, yeah. very nice. Luke, what would be your rating out of thirteen? Goodness, um, I, hmm, I mean, without any sort of like childhood nostalgia layered into it, thinking of it just as I saw it today, because it's been a few years since I saw it. And I feel like there could be a whole podcast just dedicated to the story of me first seeing this movie because I, I remember very well the circumstances in which I first saw it. <laughs> it was a very weird thing. Um, but no, it's it's visually stunning. I think I got really caught up in the symbolism because, like I said, doing research for this, there's a lot more. There's a lot of stuff on the internet talking about the symbolism, and so I was really caught up in examining that. And I think the distinct and strong choices made by the filmmaking team really struck me as well. I, You know, I'm going to go right there with Sarah. I'm going to give this a, a 10 out of 13. I really enjoyed this film. I would say if I think, if I was to point out one weakness of the film, it's that... I think what the film is trying to say is obviously you have to have like it's okay to have your head in the clouds but you have to have your feet planted in reality i feel like it's sort of the message of the film i feel like one way where it sort of ruins its own message is the mom might be a bit too mean in the real world because there are times where i'm like this lady like this lady is the worst she why is she talking to her daughter like that yeah um so i feel like that might be the one thing that sort of muddled the message is it was a little too, yeah, like if the message of the movie is you, you should be trying to keep both feet in reality while your heads are in the cloud. I was, there were times where I felt like that was a bit muddled by how people in the real world treated her because yeah. it was a little too cartoonish, but this is a cartoon. So maybe it's not entirely fair of me to level those accusations. I think actually what you said kind of connects with how I felt maybe a negative of the movie was that even in the real world, it seemed very fantastical. So, I don't know because there's two distinct worlds, and <laughs> to obviously be fair, it is Oregon. <laughs> to be fair, mm -hmm. it's Oregon. But uh, yeah, I, I actually agree with you there. The the, the distinction between worlds wasn't as uh, black and white as I think the the metaphor or the the message, like you said, would have benefited from. Yeah, she's got some real weird characters. <laughs> like next door neighbors i think that are like real, real life yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. that's a good point how so, about you lance yeah <laughs> getting right back to me um yeah so can i actually i can point something out that was really interesting just real quick yeah go ahead point so I, I read this but mr babinski um in the final scene i saw it prominently i don't know if he wore it in every scene but you can see he's prominently wearing a medal. Mm -hmm. So I looked up, and that is the Russian Hero Medal for Service at the Chernobyl nuclear disaster of 1986. Whoa. So if you were to zoom in, the ribbon actually reads, Participant in the Cleanup Campaign 4A3C, which indicates the Chernobyl nuclear plant. So, so that's that, what they're going for. Okay. Well, I, that was a thing of like, really quickly explains his weirdness. Yeah like radiation <laughs> yeah so like the discoloration of his skin also sort of his weird the weird way that he acts i think the old ladies don't do anything so cartoonish that you need to explain it by them being like sick with radiation poisoning yeah 
But I think that there are subtle ways that they've layered in why the characters in the real world are as weird as they are. Mm. So, not and again, like, this is a criticism I leveled three seconds ago, so I don't know why I'm now defending the movie. But just to play devil's advocate, I think they planted reasons, even if they were a little more minute in detail. I think they planted subtle. reasons for people in the real world to be a little... To, to be a little strange. Mm. Okay. Sorry, nice. please please continue. No, you're answer. good. You are good. Yeah, so my... Just looking kind of a big picture rating for me, um, the movie itself is very beautiful, and it's very... Um, it's a real pleasure to watch it and to see the animation, as has been said before. I think something to me that also stood out is the story is just enough quirky that it's endearing, but at the same time unsettling, which I really appreciated about the film. Um, yeah, I think it really, as far as like an animated movie, I don't know that I would, and I don't mean to say like, as far as an animated movie, like there are animated movies and real movies. Like I, I'm not in that school of thinking, but from an animated movie, it, for me, it really hit a lot of marks that I would like to see from, from animation, from an animated movie. So, I will give this, yeah, I'd give this a 9 out of 13 is my honest rating over overall generalness. Spoopiness, right? Spoopiness. We're moving yeah. on to the spoopiness and discomfort. Same same thing out of 13. Adam, what uh, what's your rating? Yeah, I feel like uh, spoopiness was off the charts for this movie. I honestly felt creeped out more consistently than a lot of the movies we've watched on this and it's weird and but i i thoroughly enjoyed it and thoroughly felt creeped out a lot of times i don't i don't know more to say about that i think there were visuals that were just very strikingly horror like the moment where the the kid with the button eyes had his mouth sewn into a smile was terrifying as a visual to me at least yeah and just moments like that where almost the main character even brushes it off sometimes it's like oh like but you're like dude if that was like sitting in my closet i would not be okay um so it was i thought it was really spooky as far as like i, I don't think there's going to be any residual scariness i'm not going to be afraid tomorrow because of this movie um but in the moment like lanson said overall unsettling um, atmosphere and I so I want to give it um, I'm going to give it uh, 8.5 out of 13 Very nice. I think it's like that I is, said it's creepy that is one of the highest scores you've given it's which is crazy to me that that came from a children's movie it's close to probably what i gave hereditary which is wild but yeah. it's not i don't remember the score i gave that's not that scary but it is very scary and maybe i'm alone in this but yeah i'm gonna stick to it 8.5 out of 13 very nice wow nice i think um when i watched it as a kid it was like very very scary i think I, I think watching it now, it's not as scary, especially since I, like, already, I could see the scary parts coming, you know, or the, um, off-putting parts, but I, I feel like it is, it is an off-putting moving, um, and it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, they're just some, like, unexpected parts that just, like, like, really intense parts, I feel like, even of it, um, and I remember just, like, like, if I didn't remember anything else about this movie, I'd probably remember the scene where um, the other parents ask her to, like, sew buttons into her eyes like that. I, I feel like that's just, like, generally a, um, a most remember the movie by. That really scared me as a kid. I think I would have rated it, like, a 12 out of 13 then. And now I will rate it probably... I, I, I mean, it's... I don't know. I probably like an eight out of thirteen, just because I'm older now and can see what was what was coming. <laughs> but still, still pretty high score though. Still it's pretty still... high score. It's still pretty pretty off putting. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. So there there were a few images that stuck with me from the first time I saw it as a as a young man. 
Um, one of the big ones being like the opening scene where we see the Coraline doll getting made. That was something that I found very visually resonant as a child. And uh, yeah, the scene in the theater with like the, the two ladies performing their weird Shakespearean circus circus act I, I think that's the part that scares me the most now <laughs> yeah as an adult you're like oh as as a child as a child it was that's the that's the scene that i like most clearly remembered from this movie just the terrifying use of like nudity yeah. <laughs> followed by them unzipping themselves and coming out was like horrifying as a child yeah uh and as an adult i still found it deeply unsettling i yeah, like when they after they leave the show and the other YB is just like so sad and like dejected, I was like same. Like that's how I'd feel after seeing that. Uh yeah, I I'm going to give it a 6. I'm going to say there's some real spooky stuff in here, but hopefully like Adam said by tomorrow I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Actually, we'll see. Maybe we'll give you an update. You never know. <laughs> Who knows? When Who we knows? give Adam the doll we made of him tomorrow, we'll see how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> spoopy, spoopy. Yeah, so... Um, Coraline. Yeah. It is a... That's it. <laughs> is that the movie we're talking about? I was I like, yes. He's holding the teleprompter very, very accurately Coraline. before my eyes so that I can be able to remember all the things I need to. But yeah, Go um, yourself, San Diego. <laughs> My great Odin's Raven. Did I say that? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, in my overall rating, I, I think I got to include as well when I was a child. I honestly don't remember the specifics of what happened in the plot, but I remember being very off-put by the movie. Mm-hmm. And now that you know, it's been. X amount of years and I rewatched it. It's just it's still off putting to me, man. Like I, I think it might even be worse now that I'm older <laughs> and that, now that I'm Lord. more aware of like the intention and, and the thought process behind a lot of the antagonist and what goes on. Um Yeah, like something that very much right out right out of the gate that was just nasty just watching the doll be made of Coraline, like I remember just like making this terrible face and being like, I this buckle up. This is this is what we're doing. <laughs> it's gonna um, be rough. <laughs> it's gonna be uh wow. Okay. So yeah, I would say that as well as I mean I think for me that's very off putting about it is that it is it it was marketed and made as a film for children so like i go into it my guard is down (laughs) this is gonna be like finding nemo yeah well maybe not necessarily (laughs) like that but some of the some of the themes and some of the images that they bring up i'm like i was not ready for that whereas like with hereditary you're like you can never be ready but like you're at least somewhat in the ballpark you know so i'm gonna shock the world i'm gonna give this a 10 Whoa! It, uh, oh, dang. And it's not, and I would say it's not so much for overall horror of like, oh crap, I can't sleep at night. It's just for me the discomfort that I felt was on par with Hereditary, if not more, watching this movie. Yeah, I think there's some real discomfort to it's this. It's scary. Film. <laughs> well, and like, uh, and the DVD we watched had a trailer for a, a movie called Nine, which was another animation that came out in the year 2009. Uh, and Sarah and I were both commenting on how that movie was also like when it came out, felt like it was being marketed as like a kid's movie. But then when you saw it, it was, it was a very adult movie with very adult themes. And like, if it had been like a live action movie, it would, would have been like a four adults, like action thriller type movie. I'm pretty sure it's rated PG 13 actually. Is it? Yeah. I, I think I remember that makes sense it. to me because it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's sort of funny that there was sort of just a few of these. I feel like we're living in an era now that gets it right more consistently, but definitely in, like, the 90s and 2000s, I feel like there was a lot of mismarketing of movies where it was like, we don't know 
who to aim this movie at. So we're going to take a guess and say that this movie's for children, but then children watch it and they're like horrified. <laughs> so I feel like this movie was sort of hindered by that in a way that it was like marketed as like a kid's movie, but it could have been more marketed as like something scary and something yeah. a little a little more dark and gothic. So yeah, like there's definitely that thing of you're not sure what to expect out of the movie, but you're not expecting that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe just the thing with animation. I feel like they just target um, animation, like stop motion. I, I, I feel like people just generally think of those as like child things, but I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool to see um, just how, uh, I don't know, how, how many adult themes almost or like how much scariness can be put into something that is stop motion you know well and again sort of a cool thing of the modern era now is we're sort of moving out of the confines of like animations always for children because now we have people of our generation all these freaking losers who love anime but they're like breaking down the barriers so it's a little more like it's cool to make animations for adults now right anyways so anyway anyway. (laughs) So yeah, um, in this section of the show, we usually uh, profile the killer, and uh, there is a killer in this movie, uh, one that I will be thinking about for a while. She straight up killed children. She, she straight has up killed murdered kids. children. <laughs> yeah. She has she has shed much blood. Creepy spider lady. It be the yeah. other mother. The the ghost children refer to her as a as a beldam. Which I looked up. That is actually an archaic term for a witch. Oh. So many, many, many moons ago, they would call witches, like, especially touch with the earth witches, they called them beldams. So that was a real name. And I was impressed yeah. that that's probably a, a touch from Neil Gaiman, I bet, because he, he has that kind of attention to detail. But I thought that was a really cool mythology and name to attach to your villain. Right. I like it. I did not know that. So, I didn't know until I Googled it. No. When I think about her as as a killer, so like the things the things that she does that gives her an advantage of winning of getting this girl's soul that she can eat up or whatever, um, I think the fact that she targets children gives her a benefit, especially when she can create a world that's appealing to them, because you absolutely understand where the girl is coming from for wanting to be in that world, and when the cat is like you're in danger you're like yeah she probably is but like you don't really see that at first except for the button eyes that's creepy Mm -hmm. right off the bat Mm -hmm. other than that you're like yeah i see the appeal i see why a kid would want this world because it's exactly what she wants out of the world she has so i think that's a very smart and strategic move from this antagonist to target kids and target what kids actually want is popcorn and candy and you know parents that love them (laughs) you know it's just it's heartbreaking to watch because of how vulnerable those kids are in those situations so i mean that's a a big strength in my head for for the villain yeah and that's um something that i think about too is is that like i don't know if if i was Coraline, actually we haven't gotten to that part yet i guess but (laughs) uh yeah, I don't know. If like if I was a kid, that would be super appealing to me, you yeah. know. I don't, oh. I don't know. I feel like everyone uh has things as um I don't know. I'm not going anywhere with this. Childhood is just a weird <laughs> thing and so like I think yeah. everybody can relate to to an alternate world where everything is is better and yeah. everyone's right. your friend and so Right, it's like a it's like a fairy tale, you know. Like yeah. we, have, we have all these other stories too. Even um, these like big, uh, like like Harry Potter um, having the Wizarding World and um, Narnia having this whole other world in a closet that's all mystical. It's like like people read those stories for a reason, you know. That resonates with them for a reason. And I think the whole idea that she could just escape her own world and, and enter into a new one, you know, that's um, I mean, if it, if it wasn't framed in the way that it was, um, <laughs> obviously, and, and if it didn't end up going the way that it was, it would be very exciting, you know, it'd be very exciting sort of, uh, idea to just like enter this 
door in your house and you can enter into like a, a better world than your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, I think when we talk about um, the, the the bell dom, the, the killer of this movie, she's obviously very spidery and she's very much intended to be very spidery yeah and have very like arachnid like features um and i think that that's sort of exemplified in the world i mean like literally as her world falls apart we see that it's a web yeah and you know me being the freaking nerd that i was as a kid (laughs) i i did a lot of reading on spiders i was very interested in them and of course like their whole thing was their whole thing I don't know why that's not spider's whole thing. You know? My whole thing. <laughs> They're all my about bag, this. Yeah, thinking, um, well, like, it, you know, th- there's deep symbolism here in that uh, spiders, of course, they construct their web because they they actually don't want to go catch the prey themselves. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is the webs are constructed so if a fly or a bug or whatever lands on it they're stuck and then the more they try to push against it and get away the more they touch the web the more the web vibrates the more they're stuck to it and the more the uh the spider itself is drawn to them and then of course the spider cocoons them suffocates them and then drains them which is like the exact pattern of the beldam it suffocates these children with like love and then just drains them of their life yeah (laughs) um and i think just the big thing here is like the stickiness I think is important because you know, she just briefly touches that world once, but then she feels the attraction. She feels stuck to it. And that's why she keeps coming back and keeps getting in deeper and deeper until she's like immobilized by, by this creature. So I think like, uh, but I also think there's an element of like, this creature is very much, drawn to like the chaos in the same way that a spider is drawn to vibrations that a spider is drawn to is drawn to struggle i my voice squeaked really weird right then uh you're good (laughs) i like it (laughs) oh yeah but like you know if a fly like hit a web and then just like stayed still which a fly would never do Mm -hmm. spider wouldn't be able to find it and eventually something could happen and it could get away. And sure. we as people have no particular issue with spider webs because we're just like, gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like a Godzilla movie just means nothing. Yeah. So I think there. Ne- I think that um, there's also a thing of it seems to attract children that feel in turmoil, that mm-hmm. feel unrest. Uh, and so there's almost a sensical nature of that as well that's very symbolic of this this of being a spider that yeah. it needs that turmoil it needs those vibrations to hone in on something i like that a lot that's a really yeah. good perspective yeah um i guess just throwing my two cents in there something that stood out to me is a strength that the other mother has is very much and it's been said before but i think it's a very rudimentary thing for people to feel special and to feel like they're seen and to yeah. feel like somebody cares. And so, you know, I mean, Coraline, her parents are very preoccupied with their, their jobs and trying to do their own business and stuff. And they, at times, are kind of neglectful and kind of prioritize that over spending time with her. So, I mean, it it does make sense that she is very drawn to that and it makes perfect sense why the other mother would use that strategy and that tactic very often and and i think something that's very unsettling as well is like the spindly little fingers that like kind of seep through the cracks of the door and just kind of like get into people's lives where she has like dolls that can spy on you and she has these creations that can come into your world and and learn things about your life and she uses that information against you and yeah puts it in this flowery world and distracts you is is very unsettling and is is quite quite to her advantage so it's effective yeah 100 yeah. percent. well it's like the the pumpkin dad even says at one point i think when they're looking at the garden she he says she knows you like the back of her hand yeah and there, it's sort of just and you know looking back on it now it's pretty clear to see that the the other dad the pumpkin dad whatever he was from <laughs> from, from moment one he's like trying to warn her and that's like his art that's his thing through the whole thing like everything he does is sort of a thinly veiled warning of like mm-hmm. you need to leave this place uh and but you know him saying that is really 
and obviously like this threat is more fulfilled as the movie goes on but this is this is a villain that that will take its time it's going to tailor a world it's going to try to tailor a world that's perfect for you so that's something very much i think that needs to be noted is that it's very capable of changing tactics and finding chinks in your armor and finding the things that would get through to you that would speak to you yeah and when i think because i think the overall plan was very smart and very well thought out a couple decisions and maybe i misread this so if anyone wants to correct me but there were a couple decisions that she made had she not made she probably would have been able to to seal the deal the one that sticks out to my mind is when she puts Coraline into timeout in the same place that the ghosts of these dead children reside or mm-hmm. locked right. in or whatever yeah. it's like i don't know if that was a great decision if you're wanting to keep up this subterfuge of everything's happy talking to the dead children that sh- that were her previous victims is not a good thing to expose Coraline to and at least that's how I read it. I'm not sure if they went and found her, no matter where she would be. Maybe that would happen, but it seemed like they were kind of trapped in there, and that was their residence almost. And so, weird choice for her to make was to lock mirror thing, and uh, and so that's a weakness I noticed. Yeah. Right. Good um. Hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can you can go ahead. I have <laughs> I have a counterpoint, perhaps. Okay. But it seems to me at that point it didn't matter, because at that point she had chosen the world she she hadn't gone there in the middle of the night she had sought it out in the middle of the day and she had chosen to go there so i feel like if that is sort of the marker of when she can actually start feeding off of Coraline, at that point she no longer needs to always be the sweet lovely mother as long as Coraline's there she can feed off of her Mm -hmm. off of her life force or whatever as soon as Coraline makes the choice to be there um so part of me feels like, and it's also worth noting that, you know, it's not like a typical timeout thing. If she's there for a few minutes, the mother comes and gets her and is like, did you change your mind? I think she fully intended on just leaving Coraline there and feeding off her. It's YB that comes and pulls her out. Right. Yeah. So I think at that point, there isn't any need for the subterfuge. I think she's like, Coraline's chosen to be here so I can now feed off of her. She's made mm-hmm. the choice to be here so if i lock her in that room and feed off her there that's just fine won't matter interesting something else that i noticed that was kind of interesting uh well she she was able to uh kind of capture her parents too so it wasn't just uh Coraline that she was able to capture and, and we've kind of talked about how uh how she's specifically able to capture like you know children in her web or whatever and I, I guess a part of the movie they never quite explain is just like how how in the world did she capture her parents yeah. you know um like I, I feel like that was like a uh really like unexpected strong point you know where um that she held I, I almost wonder like how much power she has just in the real world outside of uh Coraline you know that's a good point I guess she did find that doll with her parents' faces on it, but I guess she she can just drop a doll of, of different people, and I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, um, so just something that stood out to me if we're talking about weaknesses is kind of the Achilles heel, is that the cat, played by Keith David, actually informs Coraline of this, that like, she may not play fair, but she does like games. She does like a challenge. Yeah. That's true. That is so, a weakness. You know, if you're, if I'm just looking at this, like, if your overall goal is to, like, get kids' souls and, like, suck them out and, and <laughs> give me them souls. Give me them souls. I'm going to eat your life force. I mean, it's, it's not extremely objective to want to play games like you don't just go straight for the kill like you want to play with your food i think is her thing that is a is her achilles heel and what ended up um causing her to fail in the end right that's a good point so moving on here um so let's just kind of kind of steer our heads and our mind spaces into if we were in Coraline's shoes 
if we were trying to become the final boy, final girl status, well, I guess we'll just say final girl status because there's really no final boy, <laughs> for being honest. Yeah, I don't know. If the we ghost were... children are the final boys. <laughs> sure. That's... Uh, yeah. These, these freaking... Oh, they're so dumb. These kids, they wanted to be loved, and they were lured in by an adult, a supernatural being. Such How dumb. These, How stupid. These kids are so dumb and so undereducated that when she's like, hey, sew these buttons on your eyes, they're like, okay. Okay, that sounds good. Whatever you want. Yeah, more of that pudding. <laughs> yeah, so what would you guys do, or what would you do maybe the same or differently with the intention of becoming the final girl, if, if that's possible in your mind? This is really tough because you have to put your mind into a child's mind. And obviously, if I was an adult, this whole thing would be different because, um, for one, I, I would be very cautious and very, um, what's the word, skeptic about another world in the wall. And yeah. I would <laughs> maybe go to the authorities. I don't know. I would make some big boy decisions, but I can't <laughs> go. Hello, officer. Yeah. It's a freaking world inside my wall. <laughs> There's a big old spider lady in my wall. We'll Can you need come to over? check it out. How hot is she? Okay, we're on our way. <laughs> I uh, I think as a child, it's hard to say that I'd I'd make any different decisions. I think Coraline, especially near the end, was very almost more intelligent than perhaps I would be to mm. um, uh, get through those games and to keep a head on her shoulders and to, I don't know. I cannot think of a lot of differences i would make as a child i think the whole thing like we already said was appealing the um the cat is a good resource and that mm -hmm. he kind of fed her like you said lance and the 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 weakness the ideas that actually eventually got her through so i don't know maybe i'm forgetting a part but i i feel like i could I wouldn't make a lot of different decisions. I feel like what Coraline did was was what she would do as a child, and the decisions she made near the end were very smart. So I don't know. I'd like to hear some other thoughts, though. Yeah, I think um, I think part of what makes this movie so scary is just the fact that she is a child. You know, like yeah. I <laughs> I I feel like I would probably be worse than her as a child. I'd, I'd I probably like you said she was really strong in the end, and I feel like she like. Um, I mean, I don't know. In the very end, when the when the ghosts are talking to her, and they're just like, "Hey, even if you do win this game, then she's not gonna let you get out alive," you know. And just like her careful wording and her like trickery, I don't think I would think of that. I think at that point, I'd just be like, "Well, I'm." I don't know. Buttons for eyes, sign yep. me up. <laughs> well, suckers on there. <laughs> this is what I'm gonna do now, I guess. Because I, I don't know. I don't know if I would or not. Um, I kind of think that Coraline did everything that would be expected of a child and yeah. um, and more, you know. So I, I kind of think I probably wouldn't make it out alive, but I like to think that I would. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's weird parts of this where it's like, if I say the marshmallow test, do you guys know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's sort of an element of that, right? Where it's like, there's sort of two different breeds of children, right? Like, there are children that just have this awareness of patience and of the delay and of delaying self-gratification. Of saying, I don't need the marshmallow right now because if I wait, I get two marshmallows or whatever. Yeah. I feel like there's an element of that in this movie where it's like, this world is really appealing to kids who are still developing that sense of impulse control. And I don't want to, like... I don't know. I don't want to totally give young Luke too much the benefit of the doubt because he has issues. But I think impulse control was something I was not terrible with. Mm. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I think I also had a thing as a child where it was just I liked being by myself. And so a world where, like, my parents are always, like, hovering around, I would hate. I'd be like, like, just leave me alone. Yeah, like, leave me alone. Like, yeah. I got stuff to do. I got books to read. I don't know. Young, I, I mean, you know, and this, I, I don't know. Young Luke, I think, was a skeptical young man who liked asking questions and liked being left alone. 
So if he walked into a world of parents, like, handing him everything he wants on a silver platter, I think he would be more suspicious than anything. Like, he'd be like, what do you want? Why are, what are these buttons? I don't like this. But young Luke was also a coward. He was scared of everything. Even the zipline at scout camp, he wouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, talking about him like he's a separate individual because he's, <laughs> he's such a wimp. <laughs> but no, like, as, as a kid, I think I was just too in my head. I, I liked questions. I liked being skeptical of things. And even now as an adult, I'm too suspicious of things. Like, I, I mean, you, you guys freaking live with me. You know, like, I've had girls ask me out on a date and I've come to you and been like, is this weird? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm suspicious of her for asking me out. I'm like, mm, something doesn't add up. So I don't know. Like, there's something in my head that feels like young Luke would just be too neurotic to fall for it. Like a That's world fair. where he gets everything he wants. He'd be like, mm, there's a catch. Like something doesn't, something's weird. You know, I, I do thinking about it. I feel like the button eyes would have done me. I think, I think it would have creeped me out too much. And I would have been like, Hey, I'm going back. Couldn't look past that. Yeah. As, as soon as she shows that she has button eyes, she's like, I'm your other mother. I'd be like, okay, bye. <laughs> so I don't know. That's a good point is like, being suspicious of it let me pitch this idea i guess is the same idea for hereditary where the antagonist would adapt their strategy depending on the individual maybe if you are a different kind of kid she will observe and be like okay this is how he does things and then would make a world appealing to that so maybe she'd make a really quiet world for you that would have places you could go read and parents that aren't there and or so, so just real life <laughs> yeah my actual life <laughs> i don't know I, i'm just throwing this out here as yeah. as maybe it is something because she made that kid quiet for Coraline because Coraline didn't like that kid talking so she obviously adapted the situation to what the kid liked and didn't like so um i don't know i was just throwing that out there as a as a part yeah, and that's definitely something I'm trying to be conscious of because it's like, yeah, because obviously what works for Coraline wouldn't have worked for a young a young Luke. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I'm having trouble deciding what would have worked on that's a young fair. Luke. Yeah, you know? um, it's a totally different world. But nice, maybe nothing would have worked. But and I don't know. I think a big part of it too is. I think, you know, the cat sort of says something to the effect of like that the the like the the beldam needs someone to love it. It's almost yeah. like that's what she feeds on. The cat sort of says something like that at some point. No, I remember that. And I think I don't I don't know that young Luke would have responded to that. Mm. <laughs> I you know like young Luke would have felt very suffocated very quickly. So part of me thinks that that's almost a weakness that. I somehow just naturally would have exposed. It's just like, That's why fair. are you, why are you here? Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like you want me to love you? No, <laughs> go away. Yeah. So I, I don't know that, that it's all hard to say because yeah, she could have tailored it for me and very much tricked me. I'm not going to pretend like I'm above that. I was uh, stupid. <laughs> I was, I was a dumb little kid. What did I know? But at the same time, part of me feels like, her like Achilles heels are just all things that somehow line up perfectly with my personality that it would have been an interesting clash mm. where it was like the weaknesses we pointed out, I would have just kind of naturally found part of me thinks that like, if she's studying these kids beforehand, she would have seen me and been like, I don't want that one different kid. <laughs> so kind of wrapping this, uh, this section up, if we had to say going around the room, like, definitively do you guys think you could survive this movie or not I'll start with you adam i'm just gonna say yes i feel like even though to luke's point i would have been a little different than Coraline. i feel like similar things would have been very appealing um maybe just tweaked a little bit so i think i would have gone as far as Coraline did but i think once the end happened and i had the cat on my side to feed me some information about her weakness i feel like once the subterfuge was gone i saw the dead kids i'd be very very motivated to get the fetch out of there to get my parents to save those kids and i feel like i would have uh been able to do it um because in the end uh, it it was difficult for Coraline, but at the same time when you're even thinking of the 
of the challenge that she went through and and you know it's not like they were jigsaw puzzle or uh, puzzles by jigsaw in saw you know where she has mm-hmm. to like, get out by the skin of her teeth they weren't like super hard and i don't know watching him if you if you have a will i think you have a way i think i would have had a will i would have served five to Coraline. heck yes what about Mike you sarah hundred dollar bills Mike um i think you know i think looking back i feel like i've always had a fear of dolls so i feel like the button eyes probably would have done it okay. for me and i just probably i feel like i probably just wouldn't be attracted to it either just just because of the button eyes but i feel like um if i'd gotten past that and really just like kind of gotten in her web um i'm not sure if i would have or not i don't know if i'd be as smart as Coraline and be able to trick her like she did so i think final say <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes i would i'll say yes yeah give yourself a benefit righteous of I, like you would too. <laughs> I love it okay <laughs> yes jeez i i mean say she tailored the world perfectly for me I still just internally like knowing what I know about myself and knowing that I've had issues with anxiety from like a very, very young age. We've said it ourselves, like this world that she's creating for these children is anxiety producing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think just no matter what young Luke would have never been able to get over that feeling of discomfort and anxiety. So I just, I, I just have trouble. I just don't feel like, Again, it's like all of her weaknesses perfectly line up with my personality in a way where it's like it just wouldn't have worked. Like straight up, I just don't think she would have cared to go after me. That's fair. <laughs> she probably would have gone after like my little brother or something. So like, I feel like just like by default, I would survive this movie, and then she'd be like, I, I, I don't want this friggin' ginger. What do I care? <laughs> uh, uh, but my brother would die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I. I don't know. I give my girl. I I give my girl. I give myself final yeah, yeah. girl status. I'd say I I could get out of this movie alive. Cool. I'll differ with all of you. Little Lanson, he's gullible, man. He sees a dead pigeon. He's picking it up for lunch meat. He is just doing anything and everything. He's like just like, oh sweet, what is this? Okay, I'll stick the fork in the freaking outlet. I don't know, dude. Like I did some You'd pretty sew dumb the stuff. Into your eye, no questions asked. No questions asked. I'd be like, I probably already have him in there, not even sewn. Just like, look at me, I got buns fries. And then like that's isn't this funny? What are you doing with that needle? Oh, wow, okay, well, I, I guess I didn't have that great of eyesight anyway, so, yeah, so I'm dead. I'm straight up dead, bro. So, yeah, that's, uh, that, my friends, is Coraline. Coraline. Um, Surprisingly, one of the scariest movies we've the reviewed. Spoopiest, <laughs> one of the spoopiest ever. I feel really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable movie. So... As we're wrapping up and saying goodnight, does anybody here have any plugs they want to throw out there? I will uh, say what I always say and keep listening to this show. Yeah, I uh, We're very excited to get close to wrapping up this uh, season. <laughs> this yeah. se- season's the correct, yeah. season. That's yeah. the correct terminology. This the season of podcasting. If you're new, check out the old ones, but we will have a couple more for you. Super psyched. Uh... Yeah, just keep listening. Yeah. You should watch Coraline if you haven't. All along. Watch the movies that we're talking about so yeah. it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, even the bad ones. Especially, especially the bad especially ones. The bad especially. Ones. <laughs> Get some friends. Have yourself a laugh. Yeah. Man, oh, I, I don't know. I got a few things in the pipeline. Nothing. Get... Nothing's come out yet, but there's some stuff... Uh, I recently made a made a video that I think will be released by the time this podcast released called uh, I Watched Every Sharknado Movie So You Don't Have To. Please go watch that so I didn't subject myself to hours of Sharknado for no reason. Uh, let me be your guide to the world of Sharknado so that you never have to uh, watch them. <laughs> it was No, it, it was fun to do, and it was really fun putting that video together, and hopefully it's fun for you to watch. So uh, you can could, you could check that out. Um, I am also in a small independent 
film film play thing. I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but it's called uh, Six Actors in, in Search of a Theater. Uh, I play a very small role in it of a guy who's a total dick. Uh, so if you want to experience a side of me that's not very nice, that will be coming out pretty soon. I maybe the again maybe by the time this is released, both of those things will be out. I don't know for sure, but they're both coming if nothing yeah. else. Yeah, I will say I walked in on a couple times of Luke in the process of Sharknadoing and. He sacrificed his sanity to provide that for you. <laughs> so the least you can do is, is is watch his reaction. Cause I think I think Sarah walked in in a, in a really like bad one too, like in a really bad bout of Sharknado you turned, sickness. <laughs> you turned around. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> what has Luke done? This to poor himself? boy. You this saw the red man. in his eyes and the bags under them. <laughs> Wheezing. What was doing to myself? Going. So you better appreciate it. Please watch those. <laughs> Lost my mind for it. Yeah. Well, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. We are excited to to be able to do another episode for you guys. We're going to be doing Krampus. The Oh, or somewhere down the line, we're doing Krampus. <laughs> I think that's next, yeah. Yeah, Krampus. Krampus. We're doing Krampus, the For great Christmas German oh, yeah, scary, scary claws. So tune in. And as always, stay safe. Happy holidays. See you later, guys. This has been an underqualified Idiocracy Media production, produced by Lanson Lappin, Adam Bone, and Luke Houter. You can find additional content and final boy status updates on the YouTube channel for Underqualified Idiocracy Media. Uncut and extended episodes are available at patreon.com slash lukehouter. Theme music was written by Rachel Robison. You can hear more of Rachel's music at rachelrobisonmusic.com. You can also find her work on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Robel Racheson. Temporary artwork provided by Lou Cowder and Lewis Conrad. This podcast was recorded in underqualified studios and edited by Lou Cowder with special thanks to Mike Fuchs for providing audio assistance. The illustrious voice acting providing the intro and outro to this episode is Shane Alvey of the Paradox Files voice acting you can explore more of his work on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at The Paradox Files. Thank you for tuning in. And never say, I'll be right back.